Now, The Sipping Point with Lori Forster, the wine coach, certified sommelier, corporate entertainer, and wife to a world-class chef, Lori is literally pouring the fun back into wine. Meet some of the most interesting people in the world of food, wine, and spirits as she uncorks the recipe for a delicious life. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach with The Sipping Point, and I'm so excited for today's show because it's all about one of the hottest categories of wine and the most perfect kind of wine, I think, for the warm weather that we're starting to get here on the East Coast. Rosé, and not just any rosé, I mean the original, the rosés of Provence, France. And with me to help me uh, demystify rosé, and it's not white Zinfandel, people, is David Keck. He is from Houston. He works at a wine bar, wine bar called Camerata. I haven't even started drinking yet, David. Maybe that's... I know, it's a, we're in a rough start. <laughs> the Camerata Wine Bar. He's not just any old wine guy. He is now officially, as of this year, a master sommelier. Isn't that right? This is a true story. I love your background. I was reading a little bit about uh, your background in literature and music and all of that brought you to your love of fine wine. I mean, to me, you're this renaissance man. How did you go from all of those things to becoming a master psalm? And, and one of the awarded uh, master psalms, I should say, at the Texas uh, Sommelier um, competition and top psalm I saw. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that uh, everyone who goes into the wine business to some extent has uh, an element of, I, I like to call it intellectual ADD, but um, wine is a perfect uh, subject for basically if you get tired of studying geology, you can go study history, you can study winemaking and microbiology and all sorts of, it's so multifaceted and everything I've studied up to this point is kind of, that has been the appeal is the ability to, I mean, literature is the same, music's much the same in the sense that when you get, you know, too stuck on one thing, you can always bounce off and study something else. And so wine is fantastic for that. There's always, you know, there's always good stories to, uh, good yeah. stories to read. And, um, and then you get to drink at the end of the day. It's beautiful. So. I know. You get paid to drink wine or, and, and enable other people to drink taste, wine. Taste. They call taste. It taste. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it sound classy, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to um, really deep dive on the wines of Provence and specifically Rosé, which is really right now, I mean, of course, those of us in the wine business have loved Provence Rosé all along the way, but the general public didn't necessarily have such a fascination. And all of a sudden, rosé is one of the hottest things going in the wine industry. Absolutely. Do you think anybody would have predicted this surge of uh, rosé consumption? I think the Provençal for sure, but... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not the rest. I mean, I think that, um, you know, rosé, it's the oldest style of wine. Um, It was... You know, it's been consumed pretty much since winemaking was a thing because, I mean, it's a, it's a wine made with, you know, red grapes that have a little bit of skin contact. And, uh, and so as a wine, it's been around forever. And I think it really just died out as a result of, uh, you brought up White Zinfandel and the sort of, uh, they, you know, that really in America it died out because of that influx of White Zin, um, to some extent sweet Lambrusco, Matus. There's a whole like 
category of pretty terrifying, very sweet, uh, and, and I'm not saying Lambruscos bad, by the way, but there's some really sticky kind of sweet Lambruscos. This whole idea of sweet wine um, generally was associated with a pink wine. Right. I think that in this market really destroyed um, a lot of its efficacy when people started to come around, when really in the States, everybody got a little bit more serious about drinking wine. We then sort of rebelled and went the total opposite direction and had this uh, sort of a, an issue all of a sudden with sweet wines, even though some of the greatest wines in the world are sweet. But we weren't going to have it because all of this garbage was sweet. So right. wine is bad became the uh, association. And now, now I think we've moved to a point where the wine population in the United States is so well-educated overall and... Um, and are drinking everything. So yes. the, the fact that rosé is coming back, it kind of took a little bit longer than red or white wine, I think, because of that uh, association with sweet wines. But now it's uh, sort of picked up full steam and it's become okay again to drink rosé. So I agree. I, I think there's another uh, Riesling is another great yeah, wine. Absolutely. We That's, suffered from the same fate, uh, and I'm kind of always on a mission to get people to try Riesling and Rosé because, you know, there are so many amazing wines, but I'm, people say, oh, it's sweet. I can't taste it. Um, but I just had a luncheon with uh, Jean Trimbach, and oh, they're not sweet yeah. wines. These are not sweet wines that he was uh, tasting. So I think Rosé uh, is getting a fair shot now, which is awesome. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And Riesling, you know, there's been that push by Paul Greco with Summer of Riesling and Terroir in New York, and that's been hugely helpful. I think now, you know, all the, the hashtag rosé all day, and, uh, yes. you know, I think there's, it's starting to pick up speed in a good way. But uh, That's yeah, great. Provencal will say it never went away, and I don't know what, what it's taken us so long. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, the shades of pink, you know, the wines of Provence talk about all of the different shades of pink, and if people go into a wine store and, and there is a rosé section, you're going to see everything from super pale salmon to almost red, um, you know, some of the New World darker, even Bordeaux darker style no. rosés. Describe the this sort of color palette of Provence, Provencal sure. rosés, and, and does that tell the consumer anything in your mind? It, it, to some extent, it does. I mean, I think that you can basically make rosé from any 99.9% .9 of the red grapes in the world can make rosé. So a lot of the color has to do with the grape varieties that you're using to make the rosé. If you're making rosé of Malbec, and that's certainly in the market now, you know, it's going to be pretty dark. Whereas if you're making it from Sansoa, a grape that's used a lot in Provence, Senso is a pretty thin-skinned grape. It doesn't have a huge amount of color inherently, so um, it's not a fail-safe uh, test, you know, by looking at the, the red grape that is uh, being used for the rosé, but it's a decent start. Um, mm -hmm. But then it has to do with production techniques, right? I mean, the color in rosé just comes from contact with the skins. Um, and so the amount of time that is spent with those skins is going to determine the amount of color in the wine. So grape variety to some extent, just because of the intensity of color in some grapes, and then amount of time that's spent on the skin. So all of those things are going to change to some extent the profile and the flavor in, in the wine. Provence is famous for having very pale rosés. They're very proud of that. Mm -hmm. um, some of them almost white, right? You can almost, uh, some of them, you know, might be mistaken for a white wine if you didn't see it 
you know, coming out of the bottle, all the way to just a little bit darker. But um, there's actually a whole Rosé Institute in Provence where they focus a lot on the color and what the color spectrum as it exists in the rest of the world of Rosé. And a lot of the rest of uh, the world, you know, is focusing on a slightly darker style, which has a little bit more skin contact, where... In Provence, it's very much, some of them are just going direct to press. It's just as much color as those great, or as that juice gathers on its way to uh, after pressing. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I got to meet Paul Chevalier from Who Makes Whispering Angel. Yeah. And, uh, he's very passionate about the color. And uh, mm. I, I think in his mind, if it's too dark, it's not really a rose. Right. You know, like, I, so, I think there are some purists. Absolutely. Um, from Provence on the color. So we have four that you've chosen, all the 2015 vintage mm -hmm. from Provence. Let's let's start tasting. It's Friday and it's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I think we're there. <laughs> um, and then maybe through the tasting, people can learn a little bit more about this style and why they, they're really known as, as the birthplace of, of Rosé. Yeah. For sure. Where should I start? Actually, let's start with the uh, Bonheur uh, Rosé. So yeah. should I hold it up? Oh, see? yeah, me too. Yeah, all right. Um, it's actually in the traditional bottle. Provence is one of the few places in France where they don't have a designated bottle type. And you'll see all different styles of uh, bottle. But this, uh, the shape of the bottle, that kind of hourglass shape, is the mm -hmm. traditional. It's called a Skittle bottle. Um, so not a lot of folks actually still use it, but it's fun to see. It is um, beautiful. And, uh, you'll see it on a couple of really, you know, Domain Ott and some of the more famous uh, Provencal producers still use it, but it's not uh, exclusively uh, used by any means. You'll see, I mean, the other three, well, two of the other three that we have are in Bordeaux bottles, and you'll see Burgundy bottles and everything else. So. Yep. Um, I think starting with Bonheur is, it makes sense just because they're in Saint-Tropez, um, which I encourage anybody watching. I think one of the, big um, aspects of Provençal Rosé that I, I like to talk about and I think that people should focus on a little bit more is where it's from in Provence. Because um, if you go to the Wines of Provence uh, webpage at winesofprovence.com, you can look at the map and see how diverse um, Provence is and how big it actually is. So we think of uh, Provence for the most part as, you know, these rolling hills next to the ocean and, and a lot of it is actually, a lot of it is coastal. Um, but a lot of Provence and a lot of the winemaking area is farther inland and some of it very close to the Rhone Valley, actually. So, and the wines are very different uh, depending on where they're made in Provence. So the idea of regionality is a, a thing in Provence that I think more of us should start focusing on and looking at it in a different way. Right. Uh, saint is obviously right on the coast and, um, and is very different from uh, something. Uh, the rest of the wines actually are a little bit farther inland. They're from the bar. And so uh, have a little bit more of uh, it just a totally different microclimate, right? Whereas this is grown basically looking at the ocean. And I think it may just be the fantasy of uh, wine. You know, we all tell the stories and we talk about it and then you stick your nose in the glass and it's like, oh, it smells like the ocean. But I think there is... On the coast, you definitely get a salinity in the wines, and you mm -hmm. get they're very light, tend to be very um, sort of perfumed, but not, um, you know, the, the climate is very much Mediterranean and influenced by that. So um, this is a blend of four different grapes, very much the tradition, very much uh, traditional grapes from uh, Provence, so Grenache, 
um, you know, the famous grape of the Rhone Valley, but here obviously made into rosé, Senso, uh, which Senso is uh, grown a healthy amount in the south of France, um, a little bit in uh, various other places, actually, and I think it's a beautiful wine by itself. Senso as a, as a red wine is gorgeous, but really beautiful, uh, perfumed, light-bodied uh, wine. Carignan, which uh, is much more in the sort of southwest region of France, um, but can be kind of brambly and smoky, and then Syrah, which is the great, uh, great grape of the Northern Rome. So pretty traditional blend. I think with this one, you get that salinity, but also a lot of lifted bright, like peach and apricot and um, almost that uh, like grapefruit character to it. Really beautiful. Mm-hmm. 18 dollars retail so what i i see across the four that we have here uh all of them are suggested retail under 20 dollars, which is yeah. nice too because we're talking about really well-made delicious rosé for under 20 dollars. you know it's not i'm sure there's gonna well some of these have emerged into the like premium more expensive yeah. rosé category but you don't need to spend a lot to get a really nice rosé from this region, am I right? Absolutely not. No, no. And I think they, a lot of the great wines are sitting right in that area. And I realize that I am totally wrong, by the way, in my, uh, it is, the, the winery is in Central Bay, but, um, but the fruit for this particular wine, I was looking at carry-on and um, the amount, the amount of some of those other grapes, and I was sort of surprised to see them growing on the coast. This is actually made in Pierre Foot. Um, yeah. so the, the grapes are from Pierre Foot. And, um, the Navarre. and I, I think you still get, yeah, Navarre, and you still get some of that salinity that I was talking about, and I, you know, maybe because they're making the wine in Central Bay, who knows. But, yeah. um, but in Pierrefeu, you get a lot more sort of rich schist soils, and, um, and it's very much uh, an inland climate that's influenced by what's called the Mistral, which you see a lot more in the Rhone Valley um, as an influence, but it's very powerful in Provence as well, and it kind of this really... Uh, strong cold breeze that comes down through the Rhone Valley and crosses through the VAR and cools the vines and actually allows for a lot of organic agriculture and a lot of uh, the ability to grow your grapes and sort of retain acidity um, in a really interesting way. So I think this wine has that uh, really nice kind of uh, spice to it on the palate from the Carignan and the Syrah that are there, but also you get that, um, that nice, bright, beautiful acidity. Yes. And, you know, I, what I love about rosé is that it is this, when things start to get hot and red doesn't seem appealing, you know, because it doesn't have that clean, that crisp, you, you're getting some of the red flavors you would get in a red wine, but still having that acidity to cleanse your palate and the refreshment of drinking something chilled. Uh, and so you get a little best of both. And when, I, when I'm doing classes, I like to say, it's kind of like making weak tea because all of these could be made into a red wine if we let the skins sure. longer and made it in a different way. Um, because a lot of people, I'm sure you see this at the wine bar and, and your travels. Oh, I only drink red. Oh, why not? Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we talk, and actually, I could, you know, I, I might suggest we move into the um, the Lanston from Chateau Barbanel. Um, yeah. Just uh, because I think this one illustrates that point. Yeah, there it is. Beautiful. Um, and so this one is Senso Siran Grenache. Wow. But I think there's a really beautiful savory character to this wine that, um, that really demonstrates, I mean, 
So again, it has all that uh, idea, the idea of terroir that is growing in Provence with lavender and rosemary and garrigue and all that, you know, that's the spice and the character of that land. And I think it's, excuse me, comes through on this wine really nicely. And all, everything you're saying about uh, sort of talking to red wine drinkers about drinking rosé, I think is um, even more effective when you start talking about how rosé works at the table. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a great wine because I think it has a really nice savory character. Absolutely. And I really think that rosé is a perfect recommendation when, I mean, everybody wants, oh, I'm going to have, you know, salmon or I'm having tuna or I'm having a, some sort of a fish with a bloodline or a richer um, type meat. And I think rosé is the perfect wine for, for that style of cuisine where people are like, do I go red or white? It's like, well, don't do either. Right. Yeah, you get that fruit, but there is this wonderful herb, um, Gary, you know, the that smell that right away you get on the nose that's like, ooh, this is a different yeah. rosé than our last. Uh, it's totally different, and, and I think, um, you know, that's the other thing is really trying out a bunch of different producers, trying different regions within Provence, go to the Var, go coastal, go, you know, to wines that are closer to like um over in the near the rhone valley there's a huge amount of diversity in winemaking style and also just in um you know flavor profile from producer to producer and i think that we get pigeonholed a little bit saying oh provencal rosé it's all provencal rosé tastes the same and it's like no actually there's a huge amount of diversity but you have to get a few together to to try them you know right Oh, this is an instant wine tasting party right here, as if everybody brings, you know, mm-hmm. rosé from Provence, uh, and you set it up just like what we're doing right here, where you're tasting them side by side, yeah. um, and you're able to compare. I think you can learn so much. Um, Absolutely. So many mm-hmm. people are into red blends right now, and in fact, you know, th- this is a different blend even than the one before. You know, rosé is a, these rosés are a blend. Yeah, well, pretty much every. It's very rare to find rosé that is um, a varietal wine in the sense that it is one variety uh, in Provence. There are a few producers that do them, and they're fun to try because you can really see, okay, this is what rosé from this grape looks like. But they very much follow that Southern Rhone uh, philosophy of blending. And, um, and every grape brings different character, right? I mean, you get from each of these varieties, you know, Syrah brings in a little bit of that black pepper and spice, Grenache, you get that beautiful red fruit and lifted character, Sanso carries some nice acidity and floral notes. And, um, and so the ability to blend is really, uh, it's an art and talking with winemakers in Provence is a blast because how they, you know, which grape varieties they focus on, what grows well. And if you, you know, talking about regional specificity, if you get up toward like Aix-en-Provence um, way inland, um, there's even some Cabernet Sauvignon being thrown in. And so you get these rosés that are a little bit darker in color. They're still very Provençal and very, very light yeah. for the most part, but, but have a little bit of that like herbaceous green bell pepper menthol character and, uh, and totally different wines. So. And, and all of these, um, and I don't know if I would say all, is it all of Provence that you're going to get dry rosé yeah. for the most part, yeah. as opposed to some of the other regions like in the Loire, where they make rosés that have a little bit of sweetness. You're not right. going to trip up and buy a, a rosé from Provence and all of a sudden have some sort of a... No, you can't. It's, it's yeah. illegal. If it says Cote de Provence on it, it's dry. There's yeah. a, legally, it has to be uh, vinified completely dry. 
Um, sometimes you'll get a little bit of a richness to it or fruit ripeness, but legally it can't be bottled if it's anything more than three grams of sugar per liter, which if, if you can taste three grams of uh, sugar per liter, then you, you are a, a super taster or a winemaker. Right. So. You need to start studying for your master song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you you're calling that off dry, you're, you're in a different category. So. Uh, I, and the food pairings, um, and I, I love the sheets that um, they have on the website, thewinesofprovence.com. They, they give food pairings. And in France, you know, and most of Europe, wine is really meant to be consumed with food. Um, you know, a lot of Americans have three glasses of wine before dinner. <laughs> but in Europe, you're always yeah. eating. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah, no, it's, it, it's very much, I mean, it, it, it's funny. The culture of that region is always to have food on the table, whether it's just small bites or, you know, light, you know, aperitif type stuff or, you know, full meal but um but rosé works throughout the meal and that's the other thing is that i mean listen i live in texas i want to drink rosé all day long for the most part when it's 100 degrees outside and it's a perfect beverage for the pool or whatever but um but with the meal it's great with salads and stars but then it's perfect with main courses that are on the lighter side and and then honestly until you get to dessert and frankly uh this time of year cheese for dessert is the move anyway so you yeah. can kind of just keep it going throughout and you know pick a few different rosés start with something uh, a little bit on the lighter side like that barbanel and then you finish with you know something from like chateau vignolor in aix-en-provence the rich you know pretty intensely flavored uh, rosé so you can kind of uh, pair throughout yeah rosé all day i like all, it all damn day they even here, they have, um, you know, of course, the Provencal flavors, the herbs of Provence, but mm -hmm. lamb is the suggestion as a pairing for this wine. And I think that would kind of blow some people's minds that feel like <laughs> if you have, you know, red meat, you have to have red wine. Well, the red grapes, right? It's fine. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Very good. Um, um, Moving to the Lumiere, do you want to? Yes. I love uh, 2015 just released from these guys. So here's the we get our <laughs> our match. There you go. And um, this one, I mean, is labeled the Cote Varrois. Yeah, Cote uh, Varrois, which is it, again, when you look at uh, pictures of the Varrois or the Cote Varrois, is very, um, very different from again what I think people consider when they think of Provence, there's a lot of forested sort of rolling hills and, um, and it's, it's absolutely gorgeous area. All of Provence really, it doesn't, it's not ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Cote d'Ivoire is very much an inland area and influenced by that Mistral wind from the Rhone. Um, so it's, uh, the, the wines as a result have um, a, sort of a density and a, a richness to them that's a little bit different. So. Yeah, the nose, I mean, immediately, you know, you put your nose to the glass and it's like, wow, this is yeah. making a statement. Absolutely. And I, you brought up lamb and I think lamb is a great, you know, that all that lamb having just a little bit of gaminess, but generally you don't want to overcook it. I mean, it, they're not talking about braised lamb by any means here, but like lamb carpaccio or very like, you know, rare lamb, I think. And honestly, rosé is great with like steak tartare. Um, that's not really an amazing uh, pairing because they, everybody thinks, oh, again, red meat, red wine, but um, but tartare, it's cold, it's not cooked. Um, there are all of the things that tend to, in my mind, 
push for red wine aren't there. It's actually, you know, it really asks for a, a cold and crisper, lighter, more uh, delicate beverage. So, Wow. Mm -hmm. So again, it, it starts to get a, it sounds a little redundant, but uh, again, here we have Grenache, Senso, and Syrah. And um, I think you get, with this wine, a lot of that really beautiful candied red fruit that you get from Grenache, like almost strawberry jam character. Um, and it's yeah, got a Strawberry on the finish is just, it's, you know, goes on. You really taste that for quite some time. And uh, again, I, it's always dangerous to say it's got like, can, it's got a lot of candied fruit on it when you're, it's still dry, <laughs> but, it's, but it's got a lot of beautiful, you know, ripe candied uh, mm -hmm. character to it. So it, I think, you know, again, this would pair beautifully with some, some richer cuisine. I think pork is another yeah. Great food point. everybody wants to pair red wine with it. It's like, just stop. No, stop that. <laughs> Well, here's a question for you. It's a little bit on on a side topic, but you we we're checking candied fruit, but it's still dry. I find that a lot of wine lovers uh, have a really hard time with this idea of you know when they get a fruity wine like this, they want to describe it as sweet, yeah, even though it's dry on the palate, and they kind of struggle because you know I always say, well, you know they beat it into us. If there's no residual sugar, if there's no real sugar sweetness, this right. is a dry wine. Although some people, when they want to explain that this is the style of rosé they they like, sure. they want to say, "Oh, I want a sweet rosé," but they don't really mean sweet sugar. Right. How do you how do you handle that at the wine bar when you're educating yeah. people? So with my staff, I, I it is a conversation that we have to have, and especially, I mean, if you're training when I'm training staff that have not been in the wine business before, I kind of beat it over their heads that it's like I our job. Uh, in the, the restaurant and the bar business and the wine business really is to translate, right? Our, our goal is to translate what the guest says into what they, what that means to me and what that means as far as what wine they're actually looking for. And so I, I sort of tell my staff, I, I don't want you to say that a wine is sweet. If it's not sweet, I don't want you to use, and I hesitate, hesitate to say incorrect terminology, but I don't want them to use incorrect terminology, but I'm not, they're not going to correct the guest either. They're not going to say, oh, that, that's not a sweet wine, because, I mean, nobody wants to be a dick. <laughs> but you, you do, right? I mean, you don't want to be an asshole about the whole thing. So it's getting worse. Um, <laughs> sorry. You have the technology. But I think that there are ways to talk about it. And so you say, okay, yeah. This is a, there's a lot of fruit ripeness. There's a lot of, you know, candied fruit. There's a lot of, I generally, um, I think you can say there's a, a fruit sweetness to it without saying that the wine is sweet. Yeah. And that's important. And it's important to sort of have that distinction. But when a guest says I'm looking for a sweet wine, the first step is always to say, okay, um, do you actually, you want a sweet wine? Do you want a, a wine that's actually like, dessert sweet or are you looking for something that has a lot of ripe fruit to it and and do that as delicately as possible right and what do you usually drink i mean that's a, a great because yeah. i used to work at a large wine store in manhattan called aster wines and mm -hmm. people would come in and say oh i'm looking for you know a, sh uh, a sweet white and i'll be like oh for instance I like chardonnay and i'm like chardonnay uh, i don't know what it's sweet chardonnay. chardonnay it's gross um, but, but what they mean is fruity they want a fruity uh style so i think that that's such a great thing asking questions and really kind of getting to what people want 
Yeah. And I love that you were saying that about, you know, correcting people because that there's always a, such a, a elegant, humble way to help people. And, and it's that like, a, you know, person in our industry who made somebody feel like two inches tall. It's why right. people are so afraid to ask questions or try to pronounce something or, you know, or go outside their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, I, ha I have a friend, you'll love this one, who went um, out to California, a restaurant in Napa that you have to wait years to get a reservation for. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to look at the wine list and just maybe give her a couple things that would be relatively affordable because of the wine list is crazy. You could get nuts. And so I picked out a Meritage um, and I said, you know, when you order it, make sure you say Meritage, rhymes with heritage, you know, because I uh, had um, Mr. Cosentino on the show before telling me about the Meritage Alliance and most mispronounced word in all of the oh, okay. you know, world. I said, if you say Meritage, the, you know, that psalm is going to know, you know, you know your stuff. Psalms are going to be much better than you're just <laughs> Right? And so she did, and the psalm corrected her and said, I'm sorry, it's Meritage. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, I wish I was there. It was like yeah. killing me. You yeah. never, you know, even if it was, she was right, but even if it was the wrong way to say it, it why do you, you feel Don't correct people. It's just not nice. Just don't do <laughs> no. it. They, they, yeah, forget it. Unless they work for you, don't correct them. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, this is very, this is a beautiful uh, rosé. Um, what would you, I know we talked about lamb and you talked about starters and things like that. Anything else that you have a particular fondness for as far as pairing? Yeah. So I think especially this one, um, in, I guess in relation to the other ones, uh, would pair really nicely with um, Asian cuisine. Oh. Um, I think there's a, a softness to it. There's again that fruit ripeness that we were talking about and uh, a lot of like just really beautiful aromatic uh, intensity, but then on the palate, it's got a nice uh, sort of weight and density to it. The pair would pair nicely with something that has a little bit of spice, but um, but also you know soy and wazan and some of those uh, flavor profiles that can sometimes be challenging. I think actually marry really nicely with um, with rosé and especially Provençal rosé. Love it. So every time a bell rings, an angel gets so away. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> totally, I'm trying to turn it off. I don't know if it was me dinging or you, but it's all no, good. It's me. I'm yeah. so sorry. It, and I, I don't know if everyone's noticing, but you're spitting and I'm not. Um, <laughs> I still have to work. It's Friday night. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so our last rosé that you sent um, as our fourth example of what uh, Provence rosé can do has a very interesting bottle, not your traditional no. bottle. This is a square, kind yeah. of squarish bottle. Uh, tell me a little bit, is this the only one you've seen? I've never seen this. I've seen a couple like this, um, but Chateau de Baron is a little bit more, uh, certainly present in the American market, and uh, yeah, they've, they're very distinct for that bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and the wines are great. And so I think they've done a really good job of just sort of marketing because you can't, uh, you can't mistake that bottle. I think for those of us in the business, it can be a little challenging because it doesn't really fit on racks and it doesn't really like, it doesn't go where you need to put bottles generally, <laughs> but, yep. um, but it is very noticeable and certainly on the, you know, the 
retail shelf, it's uh, much more noticeable. So, but they do a great job. I mean, it's a really well-respected uh, winery, and the, the wines are beautiful. So, so here they're only blending two: the Cinso and the Grenache. Cinso and Grenache, indeed. Um, no, please. Yeah, no. So, tell me what what do you think the you know the leaving out of the Syrah. Um, in the blend, what, what does that do to the style of this? Yeah, so both Grenache and Sanso have um, sort of a nice, soft red fruit character to them, where um, when you introduce Syrah, Carignan, um, Cabernet, you get a lot more of the, the black fruit and spice. Mm. And, um, you know, Syrah uh, always brings in sort of black pepper to some extent, especially with rosé, it's very much in the background. It's not a dominant um, fruit pro or flavor profile, but it's kind of there where I think, especially with this wine, um, you get with that sort of absence of the darker black fruit and spice character, you have a rosé that is really driven by a bright red fruit character and almost more peach and, um, it's easy to say peach when you look at the color. I mean, it's like, right. of course, it's, it's, it looks like a peach, so it tastes like a but it, but it actually does have a lot of, like, peach and apricot and um, those sort of softer fruit characters that are not as spicy or, you know, driven by as much um, of that sort of savory character. How, uh, how long do, do you think if someone finds a rosé that they love and they buy up a case of it or, or more? Yeah. How, what would be your rule of thumb of how long you think these wines uh, can can last in somebody's wine fridge or cellar? Sure. Um, rosé, I'm really sorry about the dinging. I'm trying to turn it off. <laughs> you know, popular um, man, David. No, it's all it's just you know, Friday business stuff. Um, but I think that rosé is in a really interesting place right now because more and more rosé is being built to age, um, hold on, I'm turning it off. Give me two seconds. Now this one, I'll say while you're doing that, this one's $19.90, so just under 20. Um, the other ones were 18, and then one of them is uh, just under 14, the, uh, the Luminaire that we just tasted previous to the um, Bernay was right. just under 14, so. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, sorry, and, and I'm back, and I think I'm done dinging. <laughs> my apologies um i so i think like i was saying rosé is in this really funny place where i a lot of people are building more serious wines and wines that are built to age and i think there's a lot of rose there already are a few producers in the world who are um making rosé that is actually not intended to be consumed super fresh um but but in provence for the most part current vintage is the expectation. And you certainly, it's a hard task actually, especially in the retail world to find anything but 2015 at this point, because in retail, right. it kind of made the determination that anything older than that isn't going to sell. And so take it off the shelf. And, um, and I actually really enjoy Rosé with a year or two age on it, depending on the producer again, and, and sort of the seriousness of the wine. Um, a, a classic example of this is Clocibon in the south of, uh, in sort of the southwest corner of Provence. They're Cote de Provence Cru Classé producer, and they actually they 
release their wines a year late and uh, age them in large oak and um, and the wines actually age beautifully and talking with the winemaker there he was like well we had the 55 recently and it was gorgeous wow. and so I think we aren't necessarily there as a wine drinking community to totally latch onto the idea of old older rosé mm-hmm. but um but I think when you get into some of the more serious wines, and you brought up uh, Chateau d'Islan, you know, Whispering Angel, some of their top wines are uh, really serious and see some time in oak and, and are built to last for a while. I think most of these, if you buy a case, if it lasts more than a few months, then you're doing something wrong anyway. <laughs> like, I, just, I, don't, I don't understand how you can have a case of rosé lying around the house and just... I but I think looking at some of the... so. Provence is one of the few, one of two areas in France that have crew classe estates. Mm-hmm. And so the crew classe, um, there are a number of producers and those wines actually, especially even the, the rosé actually, age for a couple of years and develop more of that garrigue and savory spice that we were, uh, that we were discussing earlier. It's this really, uh, really beautiful sort of uh, bay leaf, thyme rosemary character that pairs even better with food and um it's just you know finding them can sometimes be challenging and and be willing to lay down a wine for a a few years which might actually fall apart there's a a possibility that it's not going to be any good but i think taking the risk with a a really nice bottle of rosé um is totally worth it and sometimes yields some really cool wines so i love that well these are all beautiful and uh I think we really saw some very different color. Um, I'll post a picture on my blog of of the bottles. It'll come across easier for people to compare. Um, And then the the styles, we talked about that. And the blends are all different, which makes, you know, trying uh, different estates interesting just to see how that all comes together. Um, What is the very first wine that you ever tried? I have no idea. I really don't know. you know, for a lot of people, there's that aha wine or whatever, but I, I was fortunate that I grew up in a family where um, we had wine on the table and I, we, you know, from an early age, it was just part of dinner was having wine with dinner. And so I don't even know. I mean, we never, we didn't drink a lot of fancy wine. It was always just kind of what went well with what we were eating and tasted good. So yeah, you're very lucky that that isn't a, you know, usually... Now it's changing. My daughter will say that um, when she gets older that she's used yeah. to having wine at the dinner table every night. But uh, most Americans, that wasn't the case uh, and, and you discover when you're an adult. So it's yeah, always interesting to kind of see, um, you know, different people I've interviewed. I, Boone's Farm, unfortunately, was my first, um, the strawberry. Yep, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll do the job. But, <laughs> but uh, And I um, had the pleasure of in, uh, interviewing Robert Parker, and his first wine was Cold Duck. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just where you start. It's yeah. not where you end, you know. And I find, do you find that you're, I mean, obviously we have to appreciate all types of wine, but certainly yeah. you have your favorites. But my favorites now are so much different than... Oh yeah. Years ago, when I started in the wine business, it's just—it's so amazing. It's—I don't know. Absolutely. No, and it's fun. I mean, I run a a wine bar, so it's fun to. We've been open for three years, and even in the course of those three years, we've had guests that I've watched their taste sort of change and develop. 
Um, part of it's because thankfully they, they trust us a little bit to uh, push them a little and, uh, and nudge them into other worlds of wine. But also if you just watch people, you know, the taste changes and it's fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you feel yeah. like a proud parent. <laughs> you, oh, well, you, this is what I've done. Yeah, and you've got a guest who's coming in and would only drink Sonoma Pinot Noir, and that was, gosh darn it, that's the only thing I'm going to drink, and now is drinking Blau Frankish and oh, you know, I love it. Syrah from the Northern Rhone and all sorts of stuff, and uh, it's great. It's so fun. So. Well, if I'm ever uh, in Houston and I do get there from time to time, I'm definitely coming to see you at Camarillo. Mm-hmm wine bar but if folks uh, are listening or watching this video they want to come visit you when they're in Houston I don't know what it is about Texas but there's a lot of wine lovers in Texas every time I go to a festival everybody seems to be from Texas so yeah we like our wine how can we come see you at, at the wine bar go on by it's at uh, 1834 Westheimer right in the middle of Montrose if you look at the the loop around Houston of 610, we're the bullseye. We're right in the middle of town. So Perfect. And you have a website where folks can yeah. check you out? CamaradaHouston.com. All right. And again, remember, the winesofprovence.com for the yeah. map and all of the great information about this region. Amazing uh, information. Amazing. Uh, they have a bunch of producers on there that are worth checking out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and congratulations. Uh, You were featured in Food & Wine Magazine as uh, a top psalm, one of the best psalms in the the country, correct? I I was. was, All right. Very uh, honored to be included. So, very nice. Let's let's raise a glass to that in the wines of Provence. Thank you so much for your time, David. (laughs) Lori, thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) Cheers. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sipping Point, where we explore the recipe for a delicious life. I want to stay in touch with you, so I hope you'll find me on Twitter or Instagram at The Wine Coach, or just type in The Wine Coach in Facebook, and you're going to find me immediately. I'm always looking to connect with great wine lovers like you, and I want your ideas for future shows. You can find me on the web at thewinecoach.com, and I'm here to help you demystify wine one glass at a time. Cheers.